Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, I'm Guy Raz, and on my show, Wisdom from the Top, I talk with CEOs and business leaders about the toughest challenges of their careers. There's lots of ways to measure success. Sometimes a company has to bet against itself. We wanted to set ourselves apart by having a point of view. Businesses really impact people's lives in pretty fundamental ways. On Wisdom from the Top, some of the greatest business leaders of our time share their intimate stories of leadership, innovation, and transformation. Stories you won't hear anywhere else. Check out Wisdom from the Top only on Luminary. Now, back to your show. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Welcome to Ask OTC, the show where we answer all of your questions from the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. And we've got some great questions from you, so thank you. This is from Sean. With most of the major leagues returning from their winter break, who across Europe needs it the most? And perhaps who could have done without it? I, I, I guess when I think of everything they put into the first part of the season, I would say Leverkusen. In fact, I think you could say Bundesliga clubs in general for, for a variety of need different reasons. Need it or reasons, don't need it? Needed it. Because I think for Leverkusen to get to Christmas, top of the league, and with such a great record, is incredible. They needed the time to work out... The, the extra winter break, of course, because they get a slightly longer winter break um, there than they get in uh, Spain or France or England or Portugal, for example, sort of suits them because, firstly, if you play that sort of football, you need a couple of weeks off or a week and a half off, I think, and you need a, a, a little another mini pre-season. What which, sort of football do you mean? A really intense... Um, I mean, they're, they're, they're possession-based now, Leverkusen, but, you know, it's it's really athletic kind of football. Um, and everything I do at the club is, is is based around, you know, peak athletic performance. But I, I think for, for them to work out as well with up to four, it's only been up to five, it's only been four in the end, players going off um, on international duty in January, they needed to have a little bit of time to think about how they were going to deal with that as well. And I, I think they probably have 
they've not gone and done anything mad in the transfer market yet, and I don't expect them to. They're they're going to try and use the, the squad as is. And then we we talked yesterday on um, the main OTC about Bayern and how they need a bit of a rethink if they're going to win the Champions League. So I think they'll have made the most of the time. Dortmund were in a total mess going into the winter break. They needed a look, right, stop, what are we going to do? In their case, what we're going to do is bring in two assistants to Edin Terzic and then re-sign Jadon Sancho and sort their left-back problem by getting in Ian Matson from, from, from Chelsea. And then you look at Leipzig, who probably got the best idea of the of, of the top teams of, of, of what they're going to do. Um, and like what they're going to do is get rid of Timo Werner, really. And they, as, as well, are losing Emil Forsberg to New York Red Bulls. So everyone has got a bit of, not just a bit of physical rest, but a bit of mind space, a bit of head space to have that sort of rethink. And I wonder how, in like a Premier League context or in a Portuguese Liga context, how, how you do that. I mean, I'm interested, Nicky, the way that probably for, what, about four or five years now, Italy has sort of rescheduled games around the holiday to almost try and compete with the Premier League and not let them have a free televisual run mm-hmm. where, I mean, no one physically wants, and definitely players and coaches don't want even more games over Christmas. They definitely don't want that. But the people who are actually running the clubs, they don't want the Premier League to have a clear run at global viewing over that little mm. period. Well, that's what I was about to say is there was no winter break in Italy this year, which is a new, a new departure. The winter break has always been there. It has been sort of gradually shrunk in recent seasons, but it, it's been there and, and they got rid of it this year. And um, the thinking of that was to avoid having to deal with as many midweek rounds, um, stop the fixtures from getting as, as congested. They had something extra to accommodate this year, which is going to make life tougher for four teams, which is the Supercoppa went from being uh, just a match between the league winners and the cup winners to being a four-team semi-final final uh, competition played in Saudi Arabia because money. That's where the money is. Like, like Spain. Like Spain, yeah. Like Spain. yeah. Um, and so that, that impacted the decisions as well. Uh, and so... I, I sort of came with this question in my head from the opposite angle, which is who could have done with the winter break? And in Italy, it's Napoli. It's screaming out Napoli could have done with the winter break to to take a step back and and try to fix the many holes in the ship right now. Um, and I suppose in some ways, to bring it close to home, Arsenal fans might feel the same thing. It would be quite nice to have a winter break right now and and take a, a stop and, and reflect. Um, teams that could have done without one, I... It's interesting because Andy, you went for for Leverkusen. Is maybe it was good to get that pause and say we're top of the league and can mm. enjoy that for a second. And I almost thought of it from the other side because I remember with the and this is obviously completely different, really, but the enforced break that happened when COVID hit and how mm. Lazio went in Italy from being top of the league to to losing the momentum because there was this force interruption. It's completely different. That's a longer pause and obviously came back to empty stadiums, but. I did get me thinking of interruptions could be a negative thing. And I thought, well, might actually the teams like Leverkusen, like Girona, who've exceeded expectations have preferred not to have a break. Mm. But of course, Girona came back from the winter break and won 4-3 against Atletico. So perhaps perhaps it's uh, 
a bit so, too so much jumps which, in the dark to guess which team would you go for? Which team would you go for then as a team that could have done without the winter break? Well, that's what I was thinking was, could it be a team like Girona, but they came back so strongly? I haven't actually got one in mind that I think would have you always think about from... like breaking momentum. It's always yeah. tempting to think about that, as you say, Nicky. For for that reason, I, I would say, I guess maybe PSV Eindhoven won mm. all their league games, um, and I, I guess and qualified for the second round of the Champions League, where I think they've got a great chance against Dortmund in in the last sixteen if things don't really quickly improve at Dortmund. I think the other thing with a club of that sort of financial level, and of course they're, they're a great of the European game, you think, is this the moment where some of their players get pinched? Mm. No, so not just does the moment, momentum get derailed. And that goes back to Nicky's point of Girona as well. Like the January that they have to deal with, as we talked about on last week's OTC, it's about making sure they hold on to Alex Garcia, uh, they hold on to Miguel, they hold on to Jan Cotu, all of, all of those sort of sort of players, you know, they're quite vulnerable to getting picked off. I, th- I think you look at like Brest, who had a, a brilliant first part of the season in Ligue 1, getting into the top four under Eric Waugh. They're faced with the same problem. You know, will they be all, able to hold on to Lilian Bressier, their, their defender? I know that sounds like a, a name I made up for myself <laughs> on Football Manager, but I can assure you he's a real player and he's a, he's a very good one who's interested in a lot of top clubs. So I think, that is difficult for like the overachieving teams to to deal with. Okay, a couple of questions here. Sticking to Serie A, this is from Tyler. When will Jose Mourinho lose the support of Roma fans after losing another Rome derby? Um, three red cards in that Rome derby, weren't there? Yeah, it was a horrible game of football marked Awful. by even more horrible scenes at the end of it where you had fans throwing fireworks back and forth between the home and away sections you had uh, Eduardo Bove got hit by a, a, a beer bottle and not an empty one either from the looks of it and this is in the stadium that they both share yes uh, the Stadio Olimpico so got pretty grim as as has happened plenty of times unfortunately in the history of the Rome derby to answer the question I I think to me it almost feels unanswerable this was a very bad night for Jose. Losing the derby always matters more. It was fascinating listening to Maurizio Sarri afterwards, who has been for a long time absolutely scathing about the Coppa Italia because this was a cup game and calling it the most sort of, uh, I can't remember how I phrased it, but essentially the, the, the most corrupt competition in, in Europe because <laughs> corrupt is not the word he used, which is why it's the wrong word for me to use, but he used a word that effectively called it a completely sort of rigged competition which it, it is because the top eight teams from Serie A go straight in um, in the uh, in the last 16 so you have the top eight teams from the league get this incredible leg up and then a guaranteed home games uh, as well in, in the knockout round so it's it, it's an extremely skewed competition guaranteed and, home games uh, yeah what's the reasoning behind that money influence all the bad things about ways that that uh, that football gets run in Italy sometimes. Um, but the idea is you're competitively rewarding these teams for finishing high up. That's how you justify it. Well done on finishing high up and said, yeah, here's your reward. Um, but it creates a completely unbalanced competition, which should favour the big teams and traditionally does. Weirdly, this season, actually, we're now getting into a... Um, uh, 
we're going to be heading into semifinals with several of the big teams already out. Milan are out, Inter are out, Napoli are out, but that's not the norm. Um, but yes, he was sort of saying afterwards, Sadi, he literally said after the game, I didn't care about winning the cup game, but I'm glad we won the derby. That was, that was his whole attitude to it. Was <laughs> the, the, the derby was important. I don't care about being in the semi-final of the cup. It's a, I've always said it's a competition that doesn't matter and, I, and I'm standing by that. But that is how people treat the derby in Rome. Before this game, they had this extraordinary situation. The, the local, um, the, the, the parliament literally stopped early, didn't debate issues, including support to Ukraine, got cancelled off the schedule because parliamentarians wanted to make sure they were going to get to the game in good time. That's, because it kicked off at six o'clock local time. Yeah, yeah, that's what the derby means in Rome. Um, and so, yes, uh, where Sarri has won four of his six Rome derbies, Mourinho has lost four of his six Rome derbies. It matters. It chips away. There were whistles. There was hostility from the Rome supporters at this game. Having said that, without sort of being in Rome this second, because I'm here in the studio and, and this is obviously the morning after that game, I can't give you the, the, the very latest finger on pulse, but I can say that in my social media world lens that I get to look into these things because fans, it's always a difficult thing to gauge and social media, it doesn't always reflect how fans in the stadium are. But I saw one or two Roma fans saying, I can't defend this. This is on Mourinho and his protests afterwards about penalties and decisions is is not acceptable. And those comments getting inundated with people saying, no, I still stick by Jose Mourinho. This is the system. This is someone else. This is so. I think he is going to have that diehard contingent of Mourinho supporters to the end. I think what matters probably is that I, I do believe he's losing the sport of the people who own the club, and I think that's what's going to matter in the end. I but, think that's it. In a, in a derby, if if there was ever a moment where the fans were going to turn against you, and I, I agree because of the feeling he's created in the stadium, I I don't feel mm-hmm. that's particularly imminent. But you go into a derby where the opposition's goalkeeper has to pull out at relatively late notice. Ivan Providel's mm. unwell. One of the uh, best keepers in the league, by the way. Was yeah. the keeper of the season last the, the, season. the guy the guy who scored the goal against yes, Atletico yeah. in the in the Champions sure. League, him. Um, and like the reserve goalkeeper, he could not have got an easier ride, pretty much. He made, he made a save from Belotti near the end. But like, Roma just didn't create anything. The, I think the most damning thing, Nicky, is it felt like a typical Roma away performance in the stadium that they play every other week. You know, where they just don't dare to do anything. But they don't ever. And this is um, what I was saying on yesterday's podcast when I was talking about games of the week. You can look at Juventus who play out a lot of 1-0s and it's not thrilling. But at least when you watch Juventus, there is actually movement in the team. You have got some sort of coherent system where you see that the the midfielders are trying to break lines, trying to push forward. You've got fluidity. When you watch Roma, game to game, all I see is the same thing, which is a three-man midfield who don't move, who just occupy the middle of the park and are a block, a defence that does the same thing behind them. And then, okay, maybe a little something happens with the wing backs, And then you've got, ideally, if Mourinho gets what he wants, Lukaku and Dybala up front. If not, you've got someone worse. And put the ball to them and see what they do. Hopefully they'll do something good. And as I've said a few times recently, that is good enough against maybe half the teams in Serie A. That is good enough to because those are two very good footballers. But it's not good enough in these big games. And I think over and over again in the big games this season, Jose is getting made to look like he just hasn't got an idea.
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is from Colin. Should we expect many January signings in Serie A? There's a simple answer to it, which is yes, there will be lots of signings because there's always lots of signings. There will be players moved around. But I think what perhaps we're getting at are rather going to be big signings. And it's an unknown this January because of something huge that's changed in Italy, which is the lapsing of the Decreto Crescita, which is um, the growth decree in Italy, which was brought in um, about four or five years ago by the Italian government. It was a law passed effectively to try to combat a sense that the country was suffering a brain drain, that people were going abroad. So what it did was it opened up the doors to both foreign nationals coming to work in Italy and also to Italians who've been resident abroad for more than two years to return by offering them tax breaks. So this isn't a football law. This is a, a national law um, saying, yes, if you're a foreign national who wants to come and work in Italy or if you are an Italian who has been resident abroad for more than two years, we'll give you a tax break to come back to the country. And for football, the 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 way it was written for, for footballers, effectively it meant that clubs could save about 50% of the tax they spent on players' wages, which is significant um, when you're talking about the top clubs. Uh, some numbers run by Calcio Finanza, which is a very good football finance website in Italy. Their estimates were that Roma were saving just over 20 million euros this season because of that law. Uh, also, Milan saving just over 20 million. I think Napoli just behind them on about 18 million and Inter not far behind that. So the big clubs are saving a meaningful amount of money this this season on those deals. To, to put that into context, Christian Pulisic is having a great season at Milan. His transfer fee was 20 million. So you're saving enough mm. that allows you to buy a player who can have a big difference for you so in terms of i mean th this has happened before in you know you, you've had it in uh, spain with the the, the beckham law as mm -hmm. they, they they called it at the time um but does has this had any influence on the decision of Thiago pinto to leave roma do you think because they were working under very very tight constraints anyway yeah, I, I think absolutely. And and, and um, I believe he's even talked about that in the last few days. I don't think he's as simple as in Pinto's case as just saying that. But I think as a broader context of how sporting directors are working and, and, and what they're up against. And actually, this is one of the things that has perhaps not been talked about as, as much with this whole law lapsing everyone focuses immediately on the players. I think it absolutely will cut to executives as well. Mm. It will cut to managers who come to the country. And it will cut to sporting directors because it's the same deal. Clubs are getting to spend less on employing those people than they were before. So we're we talking and about Antonio Conte, if he comes back to Serie yeah, for example. Absolutely. Absolutely. A great example of someone who who could who could have that law apply to them. And um the uh and so it's a double whammy. The club no longer gets a discount hiring that executive. And also that executive might look around and go, it's going to be harder than it was. Mm. This this law absolutely facilitated deals like, for instance, this summer, Romelu Lukaku coming back to Italy, going to Roma. I don't think Roma could have 
pulled enough financial levers to make that happen without the added benefit of saving half the money on his tax. And so lots of Italian directors have been quite public about this, saying their hands were tied. A lot of people in Italian football were lobbying because it was widely expected that this law was going to be allowed to lapse. But there was a lot of lobbying went on to try to get it to lapse after February. Just can we have an extension to get through the January transfer window? Because nothing is retrospective. So if someone's under contract already, that will hold. Um, But it's going to mean that we're going to see fewer international signings, I think inevitably. How many fewer, the level of the impact, all of that stuff's hard to predict. So to answer Colin's question, should we expect to see many January signings in Serie A? There will always be signings. There'll be players moving from club to club within Italy. The amount of signings from abroad, I expect to see at least some drop off, yes. This question from Dave. Is this move to Tottenham the last roll of the dice for Timo Werner at the top level? Yes. Good question. <laughs> no doubt about it. No yeah, doubt about it's it. It's a good well, question. It's a, re- it's a really good question. It's a fair question because you think he's 27 now. He's going to turn mm. 28 in March. Mm. And the last couple of years haven't gone as, as he wanted. You know, you think when he, he left um, RB Leipzig the, the, the first time, he was coming off an incredibly productive goal scoring season. Now, I, I do think that you have to frame his spell at Chelsea with with fairness. Um, one that, you know, Chelsea have been in a fairly fluid period over, over the last couple of years for ob- obvious reasons. Um, secondly, the fact that I think, as I said in the ramble earlier this week, even when he wasn't scoring goals, he did contribute. And I, that will definitely play into Ange Postacoglu's thinking. And I think the the, the 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 third thing is, you know, strikers don't get on at Chelsea. You know, he's, it, you think of some some great strikers who never really replicated the, the numbers that they got elsewhere. Um, you know, you think of uh, Andrei Shevchenko, Didier Drogba for the first couple of years. You're talking about absolute giants of the, the, the global game who haven't quite come off at, at Chelsea. Well, Drogba did eventually, though, didn't he? Yeah, um, but but never in the volume that he did for for Marseille. You, you, you could say I think that the, the boys were saying on on the ramble earlier this week he's a, a, a scorer of extremely important goals rather than a scorer of goals in enormous volumes, give or take a couple of seasons. Which I I, I think is a fair point. Um, but going back to Werner, um, he's not played this much that much this season. Um, part of that is because he doesn't really fit what Leipzig are are trying to do anymore and what Marco Rosa is trying to do, particularly with Xavi Simons coming into the team. It's just changed the way they've played, really. And for the better, I, I would say. Lois Appender's been a massive hit as well and you always want to lead with him. So that has really squeezed the playing time for Timo Werner. He is desperate to to get some games so he can get in the Germany squad for Euro 2024. It's a home tournament. He wants to be there. So... You know, we can talk about is this the last roll of the dice for him at the top level? I think his feeling is this is his last roll of the dice to get in that Germany team because, of course, they really need a centre forward as well. Now, you may say that he's not that big, burly, hold the ball up centre forward. Fine. Julian Nagelsmann doesn't want that anyway, necessarily. You know, Niklas Fulkrug is a really handy option for them to have, but, you know, a, a serviceable Werner is is going to get attention from Nagelsmann. And I think he's got a great opportunity because 
if he does quite well, I think Tottenham will be minded to complete this deal because the option is, is such a small price, really. I mean, you're looking at around the uh, 15, 16 million pounds mark, which I think is a great deal for someone of that pedigree. He's still got a, a lot left in the tank. Because of the sort of runs he makes and the pace he has, I think immediately you look at him and, and think he, he, he suits Spurs. I think everything is on the table for him to go there and succeed. Now he just has to take that opportunity, as Dave says. But I think the thing that can often be overlooked about Werner is actually tougher than a, a, a lot of people think. You know, I think a lot of people look at him and think, oh, flighty forward player, etc. He's had to put up with so much abuse over the years from a very young age when people um, got stuck into him for uh, leaving... Stuttgart after they got relegated for signing with RB Leipzig when they're the most hated club in the country for the presumption of him being a bit of a diver all this sort of stuff and the abuse of him went beyond like whistling and booing into the really quite personal as well and yet he stood up and continued producing so I think he's got it in him this is my favourite question uh, for this week's Ask OTC it's not a competition but Johnny asked Antoine Griezmann became Atletico's all-time top scorer this week. Where does he rank in a list of all-time La Liga greats? I guess it's such an open question how you define who the all-time greats are. And I, I think because I have covered other sports and particularly covered the NFL for a long time during the period when Tom Brady was establishing himself as this consensus greatest ever quarterback, mm. I find it really fascinating how different people approach the question because I felt like at the time initially it was a frustration and by an end the end you sort of acknowledge the inevitability of, of his specific greatness but people just wanted to count up things one and oh well, Tom Brady has won x number of Super Bowls and therefore he's the best and that isn't necessarily the measure of an individual player because it's a team sport and I think Griezmann all assessments of him are it's the exact flip side of that are affected by the fact that he hasn't won very much he's been this extraordinarily proficient player who I have always thought is one of those who you just absolutely hate to see your team playing against because you know he's going to work really hard you know he's going to get all over the pitch you know he can cover ground you know that even if you have your defence in place he's not someone who you can isolate and just close off even like a great striker like Haaland you might think well we can do something with that because Griezmann will get all over the pitch and, and find the spaces to damage you and when you go through it season by season he's frequently been one of the best players in La Liga he's been in the in that category of player who was essentially frozen out from winning the Ballon d'Or just because because Messi and Ronaldo existed he had his couple of years when he was up there in that conversation his goal scoring as you just mentioned, is speaks for itself. So yes, in my mind, he should be in that conversation of the best ever. But I don't know if he will be remembered that way because people remember winners. Nikki raises a really interesting point, though. Obviously, Griezmann has won a World Cup. But in terms of his achievements at club level, it's like the Messi conundrum, if you like, where people were saying, how can he be considered the greatest ever footballer if he hasn't won a World Cup. I mean, he even managed to be away from Atletico at mm. Barcelona when they last won the league. I think for from that perspective and for him, 
not not that I think. I think one of these might happen. The, the second one definitely won't. For him to win La Liga and the Champions League at Atletico would, I think, be fair recompense. And that would matter to him more than mm. any individual accolade as, as, as well. Because I think the goals, obviously he became the all-time top scorer, as Johnny said, um, this week. But I, th- I think that is just a, a nice moment for him rather than really the full definition of what he's been able to do for Atletico. Because in the Diego Simeone period, and Diego Simeone is the greatest coach in the history of Atletico, he has been Simeone on the pitch. Mm. In the way that he has worked, in the way that he's embraced the ethic of the way that Simeone wants to do things, he has been the key player. And so really it's remarkable that he's not been around for because he arrived the year after they won the 2014 Liga title. And then he was away at Barcelona when they won the the the, the one in, in, in 2020. And of course, I think the thing about him, that selflessness, which is like defined the latter part of his career, but also has actually defined all of his career. It's just people, as he's moved further back the pitch, have started to notice it more, have started to notice everything that he did. I thought the words that he had after becoming top scorer were really interested, interesting because it was when they lost um, in what was a harem scarum Supercopa semi-final against Real Madrid. Brilliant match. Um, and he said afterwards, you know, I, I was close to tears at the end. I felt really emotional, but it's sort of a mix of feelings because obviously I wanted us to win the game. Mm. And he went straight back to, I don't get the impression he's the sort of bloke who gets up and looks at himself in the mirror and thinks, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an all-time great me. He thinks it's all through the prism of the team, which is why talking about him in an individual level is such a weird juxtaposition, mm. really, because he said, he went on to say after this, um, yeah, we, basically, we conceded five here. We conceded four against Girona. We need to defend better. And he says, I don't just mean the defence. And you're sitting there thinking, I know you don't just mean the defence because <laughs> you do loads of the defending. Of but he's saying all of us have to have to do it. And the way that he has these great moments or these big moments and puts them out of his mind just like that. It's like when he, he missed that penalty in the 2016 Champions League final, which, you know, arguably could have made them go on and, and win against what was a really physically flagging Real Madrid. You know, he missed in normal time and then scored the penalty in the in, in the shootout. And th- he was asked about it afterwards. And, you know, other players would let that chew them up. And he's just like, whatever. Players yeah. miss penalties on, on, on to the next one. And I think that's the thing. When we look at him now, it's really difficult to frame players' historical achievements while mm-hmm. they're still playing, mm-hmm. even more so with him. Because he's got tons left in the tank. Nevertheless, yeah. the question is, where does he rank in a list of all-time La Liga greats? So well, no, at the end. That's the answer. Well, That's the answer. Well, but now, at, the, at this point, we have got some stats that might help us answer this question, at least. Um, he scored 185 La Liga goals across three clubs. It makes him the 14th highest scorer in the league's history. And I know he does more than just score goals, as we've just, uh, uh, as you've just alluded to. I think we can talk about him in an Atletico context, and in an Atletico context, he's, he's gone past Luis Aragonés, which is amazing. You know, a, a player and a coach who 
absolutely mark the history of, 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 of Spanish football. So that immediately puts him amongst the greats. Johnny, you can't say I tried. <laughs> um, all that I didn't try. You can't say I didn't do it again. <laughs> you can't say I tried either. Let, that'll work for me. Uh, thank you for listening to Ask OTC. If you'd like to ask a question, you can contact us at any time at Radio Dotson, at Andy Brassel and at Nikki Bandini or at OTC Pod. Or you can email us OTC at footballramble.com. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, I'm Guy Raz, and on my show, Wisdom from the Top, I talk with CEOs and business leaders about the toughest challenges of their careers. There's lots of ways to measure success. Sometimes a company has to bet against itself. We wanted to set ourselves apart by having a point of view. Businesses really impact people's lives in pretty fundamental ways. On Wisdom from the Top, some of the greatest business leaders of our time share their intimate stories of leadership, innovation, and transformation. Stories you won't hear anywhere else. Check out Wisdom from the Top only on Luminary. Now, back to your show. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>